Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, hello everybody. My name is Stevie Kim and welcome to the Italian Wine Club or House, whatever it's called now, on Clubhouse. This is, of course, the Ambassador's Corner. And today we have from the Mod host is McKenna Cassidy. Ciao, McKenna. Hi, Stevie. Hello. How are you? Where are you? Are you in New doing... Jersey? Yeah, I'm in Hoboken, Hoboken, which is right across from New York City for contact. I met McKenna this year for the first time. Was it in January when I met you at Hugh? Hugh's yes, party? at Salt Creek Grill in Princeton. Totally. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. Salt. And I said, and it was kind of late into the game. But he was mm-hmm. like, you have to get her into the program. And I said, it's very late. You have to study a lot. And then if she fails the exam, she'll blame it on you, you know. And and it was great because you passed the exam. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. That was difficult to do in two months, but it was worth it. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. McKenna, so, you know, I know you love Italian wine, of course, and you work for EJ Gallo, but it's kind of different in New Jersey, right? Is it a different um, company or how does it yes. work? Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm in a leadership training program with the winery, mm-hmm. um, but I work for one of their affiliate distributors because in the United States, liquor distribution happens through a separate company than the people who make the the alcohol. Right. So um, I work for Gala Wine Sales of New Jersey, selling our luxury portfolio in New Jersey. Okay. And how significant is the Italian wine in the luxury portfolio? Oh, yes. It's my favorite wines to sell. Um, it's called the Maze Row portfolio, mm-hmm. but it includes Allegrini, known for the Amarone, Tornatore, known for their wines of Etna, uh, Argiano and Brancaia from Tuscany, and Yerman uh, from the Northeast and Puro Pan just outside Verona. So it's a, a great group of brands. Yeah, we're very familiar with all of them. But, you know, McKenna, I have your bio in front of me, and it says... You love country swing dancing. What, <laughs> yes. what is that? First of all, oh. I didn't even know, like, where do you even go in New Jersey to do something you, like that? Yeah, sadly, we can't. It's an Arizona thing. Ah, it's a okay. Thing. I was like, um, I've lived there for some time. I mean, New York area. And I'm like, I've never heard about 
any parties that entails country swing dancing per se? This is a great question. Very valid question. <laughs> I'm from. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, and oh, I grew okay. up like swing dancing every week. So it's like a fast paced version of East Coast swing with a few more dips and spins and aerial moves that make it really fun. But is it more country or is it more swing? It's two country music, so、oh, more country. Okay, okay,、right. yeah, that's interesting. I think you're the only person I know who has this on their bio. So this is an important part of my life. Yes,、okay. <laughs> but I mean, professionally, of course, you're a certified specialist of wine, certified sommelier, and the most important thing is that you are a Via Italian wine ambassador now. So congratulations again. And、Thank you. We will go on to the show this week. It's kind of the summer marathon, as Lika would like to call it. Lika's right there. And ciao, Lika. Hi, Stevie. Have you guys started the aperitivo without me? Oh no, we're waiting <laughs> for you before you go to Pompeii. <laughs> okay. No, because we're closing up the office for a couple of weeks. But don't worry, we will still be podcasting every day. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so Joy's no longer with us, and Lyke is kind of the main squeeze right now. So we did a podcast, a clubhouse yesterday, today, and also tomorrow. Lyke, you might have to fill in tomorrow because I might be, you know, in Pompeii. Okay, sure. Okay, alrighty. And who's coming up tomorrow? Tomorrow is Yoshie Van Ustrom.、Mm-hmm. Uh, she will be interviewing Heidi Bonanini. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll miss that. She's like highly energetic. Makina,、yeah. you met her, remember? She's、uh, the、yes. only Dutch lady. Yes, she was awesome. Yeah, and so she's incredibly, she has incredible, yeah, energy. So let's get back to the show today, McKenna. Why did you choose? I understand there are two guests today, Giorgio and Roberto. Is that correct? Yes, it's true. It's quite a treat. I met both of them very recently at Bar Convent in Brooklyn, which、ah. is a convention of spirits. That takes place in both Brooklyn and Berlin. It's the only places it takes place. And I, I was attracted to the Koki table because of the Barolo Quinato. And there, I met Giorgio and Roberto, and they were kind enough to do this interview. I'm really excited about it. Okay, so what are we looking into learning from your conversation today? What are the learning objectives? You know, we're very geeky around here. Yes, and I talked to Giorgio about how geeky we actually need to get in this conversation. <laughs> so, first, it's pretty cool to get to learn about some more like higher ABV than just our normal wine. So, Cocchia Peridotifs and the history of that important brand is something we'll be discussing. And then Giorgio,、uh, Roberto, and their family are one of the co-founders of the Alta Longa DOCG project in Piemonte, which is、uh, sparkling wine, obviously in Piemonte. And I think that it's really important for the Via community to hear the story of Alta Longa and how that came about and what the founders were thinking when they were designing、um, this vessel DOCG. And then, lastly, the Bavas have their own wine label, so they're based in Coconato. Which is like 19 miles northwest of Asti and about 30 miles east of Torino, and so they have a beautiful vineyards and grapes they vinify in Coconato as well. So learning about that. Okay, so I'm going to hand over the mic over to you, Mikena. And before we go, I just wanted to remind our audience that all of our clubhouse calls are replayed, of course, on Italian Wine Podcast. By the way, we've reached 1,500 episodes and six million listens. 
just recently. So we are very, very happy about that. And also the book, Italian Wine Unplugged book, has received the OIV Wine Award. So we are very excited. Everyone is happy around here before going on their holiday. So, okay, this is where I get to mute my mic, have a glass of wine with my colleagues, because it's kind of my last day before going off. And we'll come back to you towards the end of the uh, session. Okay? Awesome. Thanks, Stevie. Okay. Ciao, McKenna. Ciao. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, again, my name is McKenna, and I'm here with Roberto and Giorgio Bava. Ciao, Roberto and Giorgio. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Ciao, buongiorno. Come stai? Hello. All tutto bene. All is well here. Thank you. Um, quick introduction. Roberto Bava is the president and Giorgio is the export brand manager of Giulio Cocchi Winery. It's a boutique house of premium sparkling wines and aperitifs in Asti, Piemonte. And together with their family, they also run the Bava Winery. So these are vine growers of classic and innovative wines in the Barolo and Asti areas. Um, so it's pretty exciting. How is it in Italy today? I know you're going on vacation tomorrow too, right, Giorgio? Yes, actually, that's, uh, that's the reason why you managed to find both of us at the same time here in the winery. We are literally alone. Uh, everybody's already gone. And that's why we do this combo kind of father and son interview. And it's, it's hot. It's good. Not like last year. This time is definitely fresher. It's a bit more windy as well. Uh, anyway, we are, we are curious to see what's going to happen in the vineyards because this is uh, the, the, the watching uh, time. So probably... Probably the, the team will come back a little earlier for, for harvesting uh, again. Uh, everything is under control until today, except uh, everything which is not under control, which is the weather and so on. Of course. So, wow. There's always some variables you have to monitor. Anyway, so we here we are. We are one of those old Italian family who only know what to do uh, is, is making wine. So we've been there. We've been there for several generations. The Bava, uh, the Bava Winery, which is the family name, has been there really for more than hundred. Uh, today we are hundred fifteen years. And, That's uh, and but the family itself is wine grower back to the sixteen hundred. Same place, mm-hmm. the same vineyard. So one of those boring uh, old family which uh, which grow the vineyard for a few hundred years. So we are mm-hmm. this one, but we are. We also have a lot of fun, and uh, so we research. We we are in some time visionary, maybe twirling some of these ideas of production. And actually, yes, the the Vermont story and the Alta Langa story are the new, interesting, cool story in in Piemonte. And in Dappen, we are we are the one who really explore the two uh, the two uh, worlds. Yes, fabulous. And so I'll let you choose. Would you like to talk about Bava first or Koki? And then we'll save Altalanga for after. Um, well, uh, you at the beginning we were talking about Koki because yes. you, you met us at BCB and you were captivated by the by that part. So up to you. Perfect. Okay, great. So for everyone listening, Koki is the aperitifs that they're famous, most famous at least in America, for the white one and the red one with the big rooster on the front. And uh, they're coming with the aromatized wine with the herbs in it. Um, you can treat it very like an aperitif, an amaro, things like that. And I know our guests will be able to speak even more eloquently about it. 
I recognize the Cochi, but they also have the Vermouth di Torino, which I know Roberto is closely connected to. So for context, the Cochi itself was born in Asti in 1891, and Giulio Cochi was a young pastry chef at Piazza del Duomo. Is that right, Giorgio? Yes, that's correct. And he, I understand he fell in love with a daughter of one of the local bars in town, and then he opened the bar Cochi right there. Is that how the story goes? Yes, the bar is still there. Uh, it was uh, started with a kind of uh, a mistake. Actually, this barman uh, uh, took off the train too early. Was going to Torino to make his own vermouth and sparkling wine, and uh, he came out in Asti. And uh, for some interesting uh, things that happened, he married the daughter of the owner of the main bar in town. And since uh, then, the, the bar is still there, still called it Bar Cocchi. Uh, Cocchi is, is, a, is a, mainly a Florentine uh, name. It's not a typical uh, Piemonte. So it's, the story is true. Isn't he a bartender called Giulio Cocchi? No way. Yeah, Roma. So uh, it was Toscan, probably. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the most uh, bizarre moments of my career recently, actually. <laughs> okay. I actually met a Giulio Cocchi. So, <laughs> I, I asked him for his driving license. I didn't believe it. Anyway, so the Cocchi family was there for long, and it was an incredible family. Just to mention that we're kind of inventor of a bar franchising, because 10, uh, 15 years later, he was already running uh, the first uh, seven bar, which became 12, including one in Africa and one in South America. So they were very dynamic. Giulio Cocchi himself was a botanist uh, linked to his, uh, his history in the bar, and uh, he started to produce uh, vermouth, but also one of those recipes, uh, which is the, bar, the Barolo Chinato you tasted, really became for him uh, like a benchmark of the whole category. And also, he was, uh, if not the inventor, but for, for sure one of the first bottlers of uh, the category Americano, which is, of course, not a coffee and not a cocktail. It's uh, an aromatized wine. Uh, on the bitter side, closer to the vermouth, but using uh, mainly gentiana, the blue flowers on the mountain, instead of uh, artemisia, so wormwood, to give this bitterness. So it became a classic aperitivo, uh, wine-based, and since then, we still produce the same recipe with the label which was moving from the Statue of Liberty to the rooster, but today is the rooster, and is still winning uh, as a natural, low ABV agricultural uh, product where you just need to add a splash of soda, some ice, and a zest of orange, and you have one of the best interesting and most interesting aperitivo in Italy. So we are sitting on, on, on jewel of what is the uh, Italian gastronomy. The Barolo Chinato itself uh, was one of these vins de rigueur, uh, a wine also against the fever. Uh, remember, we had uh, those uh, unsuccessful campaign in Africa at that time, and, uh, and Barolo Chinato was, uh, was a kind of medicine uh, antipiretico, uh, anti-malaria thanks to its kina and kinin uh, content. So still exists, uh, there are a piece of history, and we still drink it. Uh, Barolo Chinato with chocolate, uh, specific, with dark chocolate, uh, but also uh, as a wine for a cigar, for the end of the, of, of the meal. Um, it's a boutique uh, store, it's not an Amaro. Uh, Barolo as a liquid is kind of expensive. It needs to be Barolo, to be a Barolo Chinato by low. So it's in the upper uh, range of uh, aperitivo digestivo from Piemonte. 
That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Roberto, for sharing. I just, for everyone listening, want to attest to how delicious the barolacinato is. And the reason why I was so attracted to it um, when I saw it at Bar Convent in Brooklyn was because it's not a part of my generation's drinking culture. But I think it's a beverage that has so much value. I have a summer cold right now, and I went and got some barolacinato and was enjoying that to help heal. I just think that learning more about it is something so important, especially for I'm mid 20s. And so for me, who's attesting to Italian wine with the Americans, teaching them that it's a part of life to drink Barolo Chinato or those aromatized wines during different parts of the day or different parts of the year is beautiful and delicious. And of course, uh, being being the Bava family goer and vintner, uh, as soon we we bought uh, Cocky, we took over the uh, the winery of Giulio Cocky. This was only forty two years ago. It's a little uh, uh, story. Forty two years for us is not a lot, uh, being four hundred years old. But actually, uh, we we really made a, a kind of upgrade to all the product thanks to our wine connection. So even Barolo Chinato comes from our estate in Castiglione Falletto. Can we actually, I'd like to add something here because um, I don't really know exactly who are the, the, the listener and so on, but like when, I, when we go around, one well, of the first thing that we actually explain is what we are talking about because we live in a very interesting situation where we are neither, with Cocky, we are neither a producer of spirits, like just a brand, a liquor producer, and only winemakers. The beautiful things about uh, vermouth and uh, aperitivos and barolquinato is that we sit literally in the middle of the two worlds. So the exciting thing is that we've been able for the last uh, 40 years to talk both to sommeliers and to bartenders. And this is where we really had to, it's been interesting because when me and my father, we go around, we always have two different hats. Um, we go around with our bartender vermouth hats and we talk about Negronis, we talk about Manhattan, we talk about uh, essences, extract, and then we, Martini cocktails, and then we also go around with our winemaker's hat when instead we talk about tree selling systems and we talk about vinification. When, for example, just because we mentioned Barolo Chinato and vermouth, these are aromatized wines, wine-based product with a natural extraction of botanicals, sugar and spirits. That's it. Uh, that it's just something that uh, I discover in my little career that is not clear for everybody. Many people still consider vermouth a spirit or treat it as a spirit, like leaving it open for months or years on the back bar. Instead, I, the first thing that we always say when we do any kind of training or presentation is this is wine, this is natural, this is agricultural. Once open, keep it in the fridge. And it sounds silly, but it's literally how we build these products, almost this category for the last, uh, well, 20 years of growth. Um, actually, it's, uh, it's a bridge between uh, a wine list and a cocktail list. So uh, it's in the last page of the wine list, the third uh, end of the dinner digestive uh, product for a sommelier, but also the, the, the first uh, uh, category in a cocktail list before touching the spirits uh, uh, themselves. So it's quite an interesting category to explore. This is where the renaissance of vermouth came out. Uh, I mean, vermouth was for long a boring product, I would say, in the 80s, the 90s, etc. 
And, and when we came out with this uh, new energy to uh, underline the, the wine side of uh, Vermouth, asking our colleague to write together the law for the appellation, Vermouth di Torino, then it was like, uh, wow, like a, a, a new birth uh, for the category. So the, those were uh, like the early 2010, 2012, and Koki and definitely was, was the pioneer in this. And thanks to God, all the industry has been joining and following. So we we created also all together the Consorzio di Tutela, which is uh, the, the Italian-European way to uh, guarantee and control uh, the quality and the production. So so today, Vermont di Torino is the only uh, guaranteed uh, uh, product with, uh, with an appellation. In, in the Bermuda world. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going too much outside the, the path. If McKenna, you have some... Uh, if you want to steer us in some directions, please do interrupt us because we tend to yes. easily talk for the next three hours. Of uh, course. No, you don't feel like I left you to your own devices. You were saying things of such value. I was letting you go. But I did want to add, so it seems like sommeliers can continue supporting Italian wine even on their spirit, like in their cocktail list, even though it's an aromatized wine, not only do we focus on honoring Italian wines on our wine lists, but also on our bar menus because of the aromatized wine that Koki is, which is really, I think you made a great point there. And what I thought was partly cool about the, when you're consulting with bartenders, do you ever talk about that futurist mixology? Because Koki came about in the Belle Epoque era around a lot of like futurism artists like Bissado, Degas, Toulouse-Lautrec, which are artists that I personally really enjoy. This is bridging the um, 20th century. Do you ever talk about the futurist mixology and what those drinks look like? Those were the years. So the 20s, the 30s, uh, even, even earlier. Um, and, and actually there's a kind of vintage, uh, elegant vintage in also in our communication, but even more, we have been, uh, researching on this, uh, finding that, uh, uh, Italian futurists invented cocktails and considering that everybody link Italy mixology normally to Negroni, Bellini, well, very few, you can count on one hand. At the very end, uh, the, the, the futurists, uh, painters, architects, musicians, poets, they made uh, original cocktail. Uh, but during the autarchy, they couldn't call them in a, with an English word, so the, the, the original name was polybibita, like a multi-drink. And, and it was wow. definitely fascinating. So what we did in our research was to print a book, uh, call it The Futurist Mixologist, uh, where everything is written there and it's like a, a cult book for barmen because they can go and uh, uh, repeat uh, uh, these original copies from the Futurist uh, uh, artistic movement. So yes, it's uh, the cultural side of... Uh, of uh, of those products uh, is really dense, uh, and you really could even open a bar uh, only doing this style of cocktail. We discovered 19 uh, different recipes, which were already written in Marinetti uh, cuisine book, uh, the Futurist Cook uh, uh, book. Uh, but uh, what we did was really to make them, uh, uh, how can you say, reproducibility. You can now remake it with the original ingredients, etc. Et so yes, 
We belong to, uh, to that part of the history, and yes. they were really uh, incredible. We still do things uh, uh, linked back to that times. Fabulous. I think it attests to the versatility of the aromatized wines. And I have a, a customer actually in New Jersey doing mignonette uh, for oysters with aromatized wine. So making a homemade kind of champagne vinaigrette with an aromatized wine for oysters, which we eat a lot of here. Um, so that's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing about that, Roberto and Giorgio. And okay, great. So let's maybe make sure that we have time for everything we want to talk about. So we'll continue on to the Altalanga questions. Um, so Roberto, I know you have your personal story here and Giorgio is a great witness to that as well. So could you tell us, I know you're one of the seven founders of the Altalanga project and people listening to this podcast love stories like this. So dive all in. But um, this is a very important sparkling wine, DOCG in Piemonte. Could you tell us how that began and with your relationship with the other founders? Uh, yes. Well, Altalanga is, is a new name with an old uh, soul. Uh, old soul uh, because Piemonte was uh, the second producer of sparkling wine in the history after Champagne. And sometimes the new generation, for uh, is not clear the point, uh, really, we in Piemonte are producing a bottle fermented sparkling wine for more than 150 years. So it's, it's, it's really a long tradition and heritage. Um, what we didn't have for long was an appellation to, to, uh, to name this uh, tradition. Actually, we were even producing our sparkling wine, Millesime, uh, in the 70s, uh, the, the, the 60s. It was called Giulio Cocchi Reserve, that's it. Um, Reserve, etc. Now, uh, starting in, in, in the 2000, early 2000, uh, seven producers put together uh, in, uh, in an association called Casa Storica, Historical uh, Piedmont uh, Sparkling Wineries. And we were one of those. Um, so altogether, they understood it was time to give a name and to give a protection to, to write protocols on, on how to make the perfect uh, sparkling wine from Piemonte. In an evolution of uh, meetings, etc., cetera, et cetera, they started what is today uh, the Altalanga DOCG. It's more than just a sparkling wine. It's started uh, like an anthropological uh, project because uh, remember we are all familiar with uh, with the Barolo area the the, 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 the borough of Piemont of uh, Barolo are there the 11 common but out of there uh, there's a, uh, there's a world it's uh, it's the upper hills uh, around Barolo but also going to Alessandria nasty district where the area was kind of poor, the price per hectare was uh, ridiculous compared to, to the to the high expensive Barolo hectares price of today, um, and uh, and people had to 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 look for a way to sustain themselves living uh, in the upper hills. There, I mean, goat uh, cheese was one uh, hazelnut, but uh, actually you had really not so many reasons to live up there. Uh, it was not economically sustainable. So the planting uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir up there became uh, an incredible opportunity. 
and uh, and also for the appellation, we we started from zero in a way, uh, planting the perfect uh, uh, clones in the perfect position. Uh, so it became step by step, and it, it's coming to grow and grow. An incredible opportunity, not only for producer but for the whole mm-hmm. region up there. That's great. And so what is the altitude of these highest hills in the Lange where the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are planted? Um, the low who define Alta Langa requests 250 uh, meters, but actually the average is upper. It okay. goes to 400 and even to 800. Think about that this is also an opportunity in uh, to fight the weather change because uh, we we need uh, uh, grapes uh, uh, to grow uh, in, in a different weather where you can harvest in a different time compared to the Nebbiolo da Barolo. So you need acidity, you need uh, you need a certain soil. So we found up there the perfect uh, scenario for this project. It's now 25 years roughly of history. Every vineyard was planted to become Altalanga. That's it. So you can't uh, plant a Chardonnay and, or Pinot and do white wines, uh, red wines, what else. You are involved in a precise product, uh, project, and this is the Altalanga. So even in, uh, even in terms of uh, uh, fermentation and staying on yeast, etc., this is very precise. Altalanga needs okay. to stay at least 30 months on yeast, which is the longest possible uh-huh. in, in compared to other uh, similar uh, products. And it's always vintage, is that right? It's only vintage, yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist the non-vintage. So right. it's very clone... precise. Yeah. Uh, the, the clones are, are mainly for, uh, for from Burgundy, uh, but actually there are several vineyards. Uh, it's not only one clone. Uh, and, and as you well know, a, a great sparkling wine bottle fermenter starts from a cuvee. So even here, talking about a single vineyard, it's not uh, in the philosophy of a, of a quality sparkling wine. It needs to be a cuvee coming from different, uh, maybe altitude, maybe estates, uh, uh, because the skill here is also the skill of, uh, of the blender and the analog in, uh, in, the, in the cellar, of course. And also because the, the, it was chosen to actually have cuvees among different vineyards rather than different uh, years. Because the producer really wanted the analogs, really want to show the different variation, the different years, and so on. So that's why the, the disciplinare, the law, is very strict on this. So no non-vintage, only single vintage, but the area itself is quite, uh, it's quite broad, it's quite uh, wide. But also quite interesting, and only Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Sure interesting uh, about the production because uh, it's only three million bottles today. It's going to go step by step, but it will never double in a year or two years. I mean, uh, the grow has been very instrumental to the sales, to the sale, but also to the plenty of the vineyard, etc., etc. You cannot go and buy some wine generic and make of it an Altalanga. That, that's a fantastic, uh, strict point. Yeah, the consultancy okay. was actually in, the, uh, in allowing new vineyards to be planted, new vineyards to be allowed to produce uh, uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for Altalanga. So it's been quite uh, hot and in demand recently. And production is, uh, doesn't even need demand. It's been really, really requested. It's very interesting to talk about the territory, the land, the, um, the project itself. 
we don't we haven't talked about the long term contracts that we all have with uh, farmers with the growers of plants as well. Yeah. We support a small farmer to, to, to grow and to plant their, their own vineyard and, and we guarantee their uh, continuity in, in terms of money and the price of grape is, is definitely a premium price so that they can resist and stay in, in a land uh, where it's really not uh, always easy. But back to your question, uh, yes, we, we have a very good connection and became friends uh, from the original uh, group of uh, producers, which were uh, uh, Bersano Riccadonna, Fontana Fredda, Gancia, Martini Rossi, uh, Serafino, even Banfi, uh, uh, and, and of course Cocchi. Uh, actually, the, the man uh, here was more my, my brother Giulio, who, who was one of the, of the president there and, and also has been running the consortium for nine years uh, recently. Uh, so he's really the one who had uh, uh, in the family the vision uh, uh, with uh, with the, those first uh, names. Now the producer are around fifty, I guess. So it has been also growing in a, in a proper way, step by step. And uh, now it's it's a real uh, serious uh, story for the future. The key is that for us, for for Cocchi Altalanga is not just an extension of a line. Uh, it's really been the heart of our pro- uh, sparkling wine production for quite a few decades uh, now. So it's not just like uh, when we, with, with Bava, with other wineries that we have, we, we decide to add one line. So we add one product, we add, uh, I don't know, a Pinot Noir, a Rouquet or a Moscato for, for Cocchi. So Alta Langa has been really the heart. Is the, we only make uh, sparkling wine not still wine with Cocky, we only make aromatized and sparkling wine, which is why still the company itself is called Giulio Cocchi Spumanti. We define ourselves as a winery. Yes, then we also make vermouths, but it's a winery. Yes. Okay, makes sense. Thanks for clarifying. And then to that end, could you speak on a few of the expressions you make um, in the Alta Langa, like the Paz Dose Milissimato or the Toto Corde? And then are the other producers making wines of similar style and what sets these wines apart? Oh, we we um, we worked on all the expression because again we were in a way pioneer. Uh, actually, Cocky was was the first to do uh, a blanc de blanc, which we call Bianca Bianca in Piedmontese. So this was the first expression in the DOCG with 100% Chardonnay. We we also explored the rosé, very very early rosé, uh, made 100% of uh, of Pinot Noir Seigneur. Uh, the classic Toto Corde is the, is the classic 7030, so Pinot Noir and, and Chardonnay, in a way, the French uh, cut. Led uh, by Pinot Noir, in our case. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Toto Corde also was the, the first expression of, of this, uh, this challenge. The name itself uh, is from Latin, Totus Core, with all your passion, with all your heart. So this was really uh, like a challenge. We came late, little later, with uh, the uh, Padose, which is uh, the expression uh, specific of of the soil. Actually, this Padose is so uh, rich and creamy, zero sugar, but that kind of elegance that comes from the soil. We release it after 18 months on yeast, so it's quite a reserve if you want. Eight zero, 
80. 80 is, uh, yeah. The normal, the average of cock is 48 to 60. Uh, so again, we, we play serious with long stain on yeast, small bubbles, very, uh, very fine uh, product altogether. So the range is four labels today, uh, but thankfully, we have a verticals to come out. We'll be probably releasing uh, a few more products, including uh, a 100% bio bio product in the early in the probably next year. So beautiful, step that's step. great. But also, um, just just a, a word about the method uh, Maltinotti because Koch is also one of those pioneers mm-hmm. uh, doing the first uh, Maltinotti Sharma. Uh, style because Giulio Cocchi, uh, uh, the winery was uh, like uh, 400 meters from the, inst- the Royal Institute of Viticulture of Asti, mm-hmm. where Mr. Martinotti was the director. And uh, and when we, we 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 bought the building and we we, we went on uh, making Cocchi in Asti, actually we had very dinosaur of, uh, of Cuba clothes uh, to do sparkling wine, so we really think that we belong to this kind of history, which is incredible. So uh, aromatized uh, wine, okay, but even sparkling wine like uh, aromatic. So bracchetto, the Asti, made in Asti, and even the dry uh, Chardonnay and sparkling wine. So again, sparkling wine was really uh, a big part of, uh, of uh, this heritage. If I'm not mistaken, Martinotti actually invented or developed or patented the, the Martinotti method in 1895. While uh, and 1895. Cocchi, 1895, while Giulio Cocchi founded the first, put the first building block, the first production in 1891. So it was literally those years, and they were like neighbors in the same square. So at the same time, that's awesome. Uh, this kind of Italian things where uh, <laughs> we are old enough. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember myself <laughs> first. First, <laughs> you there's no doubt you're a part of the history of the sparkling wine. That's really? wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. And which is your favorite to drink in your free time? And who does the remouage on the pupitra by hand? Is that Giorgio? Is that his job? <laughs> yes. Um, well, they they prefer to send me uh, around the world because I I sleep quite yes. well on on airplanes and I usually take overnight flights. Uh, I do I do know how to do it a little bit. It tend to have more people that do it and to have more muscles than what I what I have unfortunately. Um, but we have uh, we have a, a little team of a couple of people led by my uncle doing the remouage. Actually, uh, one of them was uh, one of the original uh, cocky employee that we had that, that just a couple of months ago retired after 42 years with us. Wow. So, yeah. When you talk about being artisan, yeah. he has been touching, we say, uh, we don't, okay. Uh, touching the we're touching the bottle uh, for uh, 38 years nonstop. So all the bottles we produce were been personally touched uh, by these two guys. One is still here. Oh my and days. now we have the new generation uh, coming. So it's fascinating. Very artisan in a way. I do drink the Rosa, the rosa by the way. That's the, the one I always bring uh, home for me. I, I do Bianca Bianca because it's very Giorgio Armani style. It's so creamy. The white bottle, yes. transparent bottle, it's... Uh, to die for with food that we are in Italy, don't forget antipasti is not only aperitivo. Mm-hmm. So we use a, 
wine glass and then uh, play carne cruda, vitello tonnato, uh, anything hazelnuts, but also risotto. So until the risotto, we normally now have uh, lunch and dinners with Altalanga. That's uh, to die for. Oh, fabulous. This is perfect because... What's that, Giorgio? No, just because they're not overly sparkling. We're not talking about uh, heavy bubble. We're still talking about at least three, four years. Our, our, our Altalanga do a minimum of four years. So they tend to be extremely delicate. Even the, 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 the bubble, the, the perlage itself, I should let it have it uh, for the whole uh, the whole meal. For some sparkling wine, uh, after right. a while, I really cannot have them. And instead, for Altalang, I tend to be very rich, very creamy. That's a beautiful yeah. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of that depth of flavor and the structure, which lets it pair with so many different things. So what do you pair with the Rosa if um, Roberto has the Vitello Donato? <laughs> yeah, well, I go with a bit of Presaula, then... <laughs> We, we, tend to, we tend to consume a bit of uh, charcuterie here. Well, uh, remember that uh, the aim is to drink it around the world and not only in Monferrato or Lange. So actually there's a, there's a big exercise uh, with uh, uh, foreign cuisine and international cuisine. Three days ago I was in Cancun with uh, Virgilio Fernandez, was the, the best uh, chef number one uh, best 50 and Enrico de Fringer so super chef uh, we have been using uh, Bianca Bianca with uh, with Mexican food and uh, and this was phenomenal so oh, don't limit fabulous. to local ethnic Italian food it's really open to good food around the world that's great because I'm from the desert where we eat Mexican food weekly and almost daily like quesadillas and tostadas and enchiladas so it would be fabulous so I can have your wines with it now That's great. And then I'm so excited because I've been on the uh, Bava mailing list for several months now. And it's been so fun because I have my cookbook that I got, which is this really awesome food and wine book. So now I know how to make Vitello Tonato and I can make uh, Agnolotti and several that go with not only your Altalanga wines, but I think also your Bava family wines. Let's transition into your family's winery. Um, I remember it was founded because I think someone was building a railroad through the land and they started making bread and wine to give to the workers. Is that kind of how that story all started? Yes, that's that's correct. Um, uh, I don't recall we had time at BCB to talk about it, so you did very good research. Well done. <laughs> yes, right. it's a, that's a that's a story. That, that is a true story. Um, yeah, when the family actually moved uh, uh, from the from the top of the hill here in Coconato, where we had our historical farmhouse since the early 1600s, uh, they simply moved uh, to the valley where they were building um, the, the the railroad. Would have been the railroad, and so there was the, the the occasion to build a restaurant there and an oven, a bread making oven for the people there and for the surrounding farmer farms, and then of course the the wines that the family used to produce start to be sold there. And that's how it, how everything started and grew. From there, okay. like we started shipping wines with the with the railway, and then uh, think things start from there. We always been quite focused on uh, Monferrato. We are in, literally in the center of uh, the north part of Monferrato. Um, so we have a very big variety of different native grapes. Uh, we spend our time talking about how many different grapes we have in here. Um, of course, mostly Barbera in terms of production. So we are, uh, let's say, a Barbera house. 
but also Nebbiolo because we, we then go all the way then to Castiglione Falletto where we have a little estate, a little farmhouse uh, in the Cruz Carrone. And plus we make Monferrato Nebbiolo, which is quite fun. Oh, fabulous. Yes, yeah, so Coconato is in Monferrato Astigiano, or is it Casalense? Which is it considered? Yeah, you're, it's not a tropical drink instead of the name. You would say yeah. coconut, but uh, I don't know how it came out. It was from Romans. Uh, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And your, anyway, so your, Barbera, your Barbera is the Stradivario, I think is the title of your wine. In that... Can you tell us about the connection between the music and the wines of Bava? Um, I know that there was a few composers that would inspire, um, like Barber, who makes who does the song Adagio for strings, which is such a gorgeous, um, like eleven minute song. Everyone should go listen to it after this while you're drinking Bava wines. Um, but could you tell us about the relationship with the music for the Barolo and the Barbera? Yeah, that's interesting. In 1980, in the early 80s, we um, uh, we had this very old cellar available to do things. And our father, uh, so he's still alive, by the way. My father is still alive, 92 years old, still in the winery today. Wonderful. And, and uh, he um, he gave us the cellar to do things. Uh, and... Uh, my brother and I, we were fanatic of jazz, so we decided to do to host a, a whole orchestra for several years, actually. But hosting an orchestra of 20 people uh, with a lot of jazz people coming from all over, etc. Uh, this gave us oh the opportunity to, to understand how the music could be a meta language in a sensorial way to explain uh, in, in an unusual, at that time, storytelling about the wine. So we have been uh, asking those musicians coming to play something like acidity, body, aromas, etc., etc., uh, using something which is was very early for sensorial marketing, which is today normal. But at that time, having uh, jazz in the, in, the, in the cellar, this was Robert Mondavi in Napa, and actually it was us, so the only two funny uh, scene like uh, out of the box but actually still today the story works because we may explain uh, certain Barbera using Malcolm Arnold better than Stravinsky according to the character of the Barbera and okay. uh, it's not it's not a science is is written that if you ask people uh, to taste the two different Barbera and pair it with different uh, uh, sound they come to a point that uh, probably higher acidity is better explained with violins and low bo body wines is more double bass uh, and viola d'amore, violoncello, etc. etc. So uh, again, it's not a science. It's, uh, uh, it's something that your brain uh, understands and we still do things after so many years. Uh, if you go in our Baba TV on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, someplace passing maybe to the to the web. Yeah, it's a Baba. good YouTube oh. channel. I like it very much. Uh, Baba YouTube. You you would find what we did last year was we went uh, to the vineyard to encourage the vineyard because there was this very 
dry weather. It was like a, like a kind of problem. The vine were really suffering. So we asked the five musicians from the Royal uh, Orchestra of Torino, for the Royal Theatre, to come and play Barocco winds music like uh, like uh, Aiden, uh, Philip Telemann, Bach, etc. Yes. And it was so incredible, so funny, but so oh logic. Uh, and it was a great fun. So we still do these things. Uh, are not scientific, but people love it. And we talk to the brain uh, of people. And uh, it's a perfect storytelling of flavor, taste, uh, history, etc. So that's how it started. And this is why we call Stradivario our Super Barbera, which we, ate, we aged for 10 years before selling it. But it's yeah. one of those uh, super Barbera that changed the history of the Barbera 40 years ago, still producing there. And we are still selling it uh, in like uh, several vintages available, uh, even in the United States uh, to, to Broadbent. So we mm-hmm. do vertical and we have violin playing the taste, uh, the body, and all the characteristics that can explain it to a sound. Okay. So, That's, yes. Think- Thank you for explaining that. That is more than I could have asked for in an answer. That was awesome. <laughs> um, I haven't heard someone doing that in in such quite depth before. Um, and so for those of us who haven't been to Kogonato specifically, it sounds like clearly you have wonderful musicians there. The town itself has been ranked amongst the most beautiful towns in Italy. Um, obviously, a variety of grapes grow well there, but it sounds like there's several kind of ancient churches. Um, one of your vineyards is by Madonna della Neve, um, the snow, obviously. And which grapes are you seeing are like thriving right now? Which are you going to have to harvest first? Well, um, in here in particular, we consider that we do harvest many different types of grapes. We are quite a wide type of uh, uh, range between Bava and Coffee. So, yeah. So, uh, in terms of harvest time, uh, I was talking with my uncle just a couple of days ago, and we will probably start with the, we will start, of course, with um, with sparkling wine, with the wines, with the grapes for the sparkling wine, more or less on the 20, 25th of August, uh, which is far away, again, the Altalanga area. In Coconato, uh, in here, we have a slightly warmer, a slightly warm climate, which is very good for red grapes as well. Um, we do start usually with Albarossa um, in Coconato, which is a very niche and rare uh, grape variety. Super interesting. Uh, yeah, was a cross between, that's uh, the... Barbera. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I got excited because it's Chateau and Barbera. <laughs> Yeah, no, correct. Very impressed. We are very impressed. Uh, <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> like, Thank you. Wow. And the level of knowledge is... Uh, wow. Um, no, sorry, sorry. We're we are surprised just because usually when, even when... when nobody, we, knows yes, I mean, nobody knows Albarossa. Nobody knows Albarossa. Oh, usually. yes. Albarossa is very important and special. Yes. Oh, it is for us. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, hopefully, we, we, we are working to make it important also for the market, for sommeliers and, and consumers. Um, it's taking some time. Let's say that before it will become the next Cabernet Sauvignon, it's going to be a long way. But anyway. Yeah. Why, um, why do you think, why do you think, what's the value of Aparosa for you? Like, why do you, what do you think people misunderstand that's beautiful about it, that you're evangelizing? 
Uh, well, it's not like a misunderstanding. It's not like a, it just is one out of endless niche native varieties. We also make rouquet, for example, which I personally love. For yes, springtime, for summertime, rouquet. We do a steel tank version of rouquet, unaged, unoaked, super vibrant, amazing. Uh, uh, you can talk about Gavi, you can talk about native varieties, you can talk about red Malvasia from Castelnuovo Don Bosco. I mean, that's why what I was saying at the beginning, Monferrato is crazy for so many small niche varieties. So it's not that it's misunderstood, it's just that there is, there is a lot. And there are a lot of fantastic varieties that are fighting for a space. Um, Nizza itself, uh, super interesting. I mean, even for Barbera, we talk about the difference in all the different soil, the different vinification. Yes, it is a, a, a grape that is made by many, many different producers in Piemonte. Fabulous. Yeah, it's like so detailed, I think. A different level. The way people Sergio. understand it is the storytelling. Oh, you cut out. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, I was saying that even because you are asking me about uh, uh, the, the harvest time as well, like in Nizza is also slightly earlier, yeah. usually Coconato. And that's now a Nizza DOCG. So that's even a, a, his own uh, denomination. So even inside one grape world, we make a difference between different soil of Piemonte, of, of Monferrato, of the Asti province. Okay, I'm with you. And then so what, could you just describe briefly the Piano Alto crew and maybe like the Rosid, Rosigana hill? Are those like close to each other? What's different about them? Um, for Piedmonti standard, they're actually quite far from each other. Uh, let's say from maybe from a, uh, from New Zealand or Australia uh, distances is nothing, but for us it's something like a, a forty minutes drive, thirty minutes drive. Okay. Um, so Nizza is in the south. Is if you take Asti, is in the south of Asti, so it goes more is southern. It's more in the direction of Lange, let's say, um, and it's uh, what I would describe more rolling hills. So lower hills, you get less uh, um, inclination, less... Uh, uh, the altitude is, is lower. The altitude way. is lower. Uh, and at the same time, you get more sun because there is no much shadow uh, comparing to, for example, our st- steep hills in uh, the Lange area, steep hills in uh, north of Monferrato where we are, where our grapes get shadow sometimes, needs a most vineyards, and I'm talking in particular in our vineyards, so I cannot really talk about the whole appellation, uh, we get way more sun sometime. Um, in the north, in Monferrato, in the northern part of Monferrato where we are, uh, and for example our hill here in Coconato where we made the Stradivario, it tend to be steeper, it tend to have like a, a richer, richer soil, it tend to give, the soils give a lot. In particular, we have the oldest uh, vineyard, the oldest vines here in Coconato. So I landed meters altitude. Oh, wonderful. How, how old are they? Oh, we go between uh, 40, 45 uh, years old. You said they're, what vine are that old? That's both for the Barbera and for the okay. Nebbiolo. So we'll be making okay. Nebbiolo of Montferrato here for... For, fam- for family reasons and family consumption, li- literally for hundreds of years. Right. Um, actually, the relation Monferrato Nebbiolo is something new anyway. It's only two or three years uh, has been uh, made uh, available and uh, adopted. Uh, so okay. eventually we have a name of all these uh, Nebbiolo, which is midway between the upper northern Nebbiolo, Gattinara area, 
and the lung. So it happened that this monferrato is really in the, in the heart and in the center geographically of Piemonte. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, growing. It will, uh, there's a new name to, to follow. So Monferrato Nebbiolo and even Albugnano, one of these local villages with a 100% Nebbiolo. Maybe all grape uh, next to coconato. So uh, again, uh, it's never boring. Uh, flavors, altitude, uh, clone, title. Right. So so much to discover. That's fabulous. I have one more question, and then I'd love if you would share any last words you'd like to share about anything you do that um, you'd love the platform to share. I've just noticed that you make a Reales Blanc, which is Sauvignon. And I was just wondering in which of your vineyards that grows. And then I'll turn the floor over to you. I'd love to hear anything else you'd like to share in our last three minutes. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Mm, yeah, we only have one vineyard of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. It's, uh, it's uh, like one of those tests to understand how these, uh, these vines uh, are uh, adopted uh, by the soil we have here. Uh, we discovered that uh, the Coconato area is like an island of white soil, soil uh, similar to Babaesco in a way, uh, and so suitable for uh, by, uh, white wine. We also have a mines uh, or quarries of uh, chalk here, uh, which is uh, which is a crystal, so it gives very, very white uh, White soil is spread around the vineyard, and, and so it was. We were curious to understand what else out of the classic red. This is why years ago we started to. We were one of the very first Chardonnay uh, estate here in Piemont, actually, and uh, and uh, and Sauvignon was one of uh, those. Uh, it happened to be. Uh, good, uh, less uh, um, happy, if I can say, compared to other world uh, uh, Sauvignon. It's probably um, a, a wine will will go on producing because it's very good, long staying on on uh, lees, uh, etc., etc. But it's also true that if there's a next step, this will be on, on some probably uh, native uh, grapes, uh, from which which we still have to to uh, uh, to discover. So. So we want to be an open system, a, a, a laboratory of uh, of uh, varietals and diversity. That's so wonderful. Your winemaking philosophy really coincides with our values at the Vanitaly Academy because we spend a great deal of time talking about the native grape varieties and their stories of how they arrived to the lands they are in and their uniqueness and the creativity um, and the different crossings. So thank you so much. Uh, I'll turn it back over to Stevie and uh, Roberto and Giorgio. I'm so, so grateful for your time. Thank you. That was me. Oh, my goodness. You guys, this was such a wonderful session. First of all, uh, Giorgio and Roberto, I, I want to come to Coconato because what a fun name, just the name. I've never been, so <laughs> I hope we can come and visit you very soon. Thank you for joining us. And McKenna, you give me hope for the next generation because you, how old are you? Thank you, Stevie. I'm 25 years old. Oh, my gosh. I need more McKenna of 25-year-old McKenna's <laughs> because you. then I think there is really hope 
for the future of Italian wine. You were so competent, but fun and friendly, but in depth. I think Georgia and Roberto would agree. She's incredibly knowledgeable in this area. And I, you really did your homework. No wonder you passed. Congratulations. <laughs> and I hope you. you will bring more guests because I think this was a fabulous session. And I, I can hardly wait to share with the rest of the world on the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you all Great. very much. I'm going to join my, my staff at the bar now. So I'm going to close up the room. But thank you all very much. And um, McKenna, I know you're not even feeling well, so feel better. And I, <laughs> I want you. to connect with you. I'm going to stateside Great. on Sunday and I'm going to ping oh, you because I have some super. ideas for you. Okay? Fabulous. Please do. Talk then. Okay. Ciao, Bye. Giorgio. Ciao, Roberto. Ciao, ragazzi. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cheat, cheat.